You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. missed my intro music hello x-man fans it is the x-man i am doc coil thank you guys for listening and i'm i'm being honest i i do miss miss all of you i have been very very busy lately i just returned from a european tour filling in on guitar for the band darkest hour and the tour was a lot of fun, but also very, very tiring. I, you know, I had about another month of really busy activity before beforehand, and now I'm coming home, and it, it actually took me probably four or five days to correct my sleeping schedule. The travel was about, I did about 30 hours of travel, including in the van and all of the flights and traveling all over. So it, it took a while to, to readjust. Um, well then right after that, uh, my other band uh, called Bad Wolves were doing our first show Wednesday, the day after this. Wednesday, uh, May 24th, the day after this podcast comes out. So I got right into, you know, just working on that material, rehearsing with the band. And I have to say the uh, stuff is no joke. It was kind of a great primer doing the darkest hour stuff because you know I hadn't I haven't really been playing super fast brutal technical heavy metal stuff for a while and you know with the darkest hour stuff it it had that element of just very very fast uh rigorous rhythm guitar and then some very intricate uh lead work stuff that I hadn't really been playing for a while, even stuff that I haven't really approached at all, you know, definitely got to try some new techniques. And then this stuff, uh, the Bad Wolf stuff is, is much more modern, you know, has that kind of genty techniques and things that really were very alien to me. So it was good that I did the Dark Star thing right before that. So I'm, I'm kind of warmed up and ready to go. But uh, even within that, I, I haven't had a whole lot of time to prepare so we kind of went right into rehearsals I actually just got done with the rehearsal and I don't have a lot of time but I'm like you know what I'm probably a few days late like I, I like I don't like to go more than two weeks between shows and you know I I, I just couldn't let it slide I'm like, you know what I'm busy as hell 
but I have to get a show done. And luckily, I got to speak to the man, Mike Schleibaum, my buddy, the, the man I love, you know, my, my brother from another mother uh, from Darkest Hour to be on the show. And we, we recorded this uh, live in, I guess, every time you record something, it's live at the time it was recorded. So I probably didn't need that uh, that preamble. But we recorded this in Leipzig, Germany at this very interesting kind of leftist uh commune you know very 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 cool thing you know for people enjoy that kind of thing uh so that you'll kind of hear us do some chit chat surrounding that at the beginning of the show uh but i would like to plug one of the jabberjaw media shows real quick i want to talk about the show 100 words or less this is actually a podcast i have been a guest on and one of the you know, one of my favorite music-oriented podcasts, and it is a discussion with people in and around independent music with host Ray Harkins. Now, Ray used to be the A&R guy at Century Media Records. He was actually the last guy that we, God forbid, worked with before we left the label, so I already had a relationship with him and was a fan of the show, and it gets in deep with creators and people who have been profoundly influenced by independent music and DIY culture. Upcoming guests include Josh Scoggin from 68 and Norma Jean, and also Cameron from Sorority Noise, and there are also 250 past episodes to deep dive into. Please visit 100 words, and that's 100, 100wordspodcast.com, or listen on your favorite podcast app. And I'll also implore everyone to please rate and review this show, The X Men, on iTunes. Uh, that really helps out. You know, you know, we've had some big shows. We've, you know, we've we've charted. We've gotten out there. But the more you guys let people know, the better we're going to do it. I mean, I'm actually thinking about maybe doing some contests and do some giveaways if people review the show. So I'm going to brainstorm on some stuff and possibly give you guys some goodies. Uh, for helping out, and also we're we're looking for sponsors. Uh, we had some bands uh, sponsor some of the earlier episodes, but have not had uh, anyone for the last few episodes. So hit me up on social media if you have a band you want to play a song. You know we'll work with your budget. You know this is a price conscious endeavor over here. But here's the thing: I'm not going to talk your ear off with my little jibber jabber. We're going to get into our chat with Mike Schleibaum. Please check this out. I love this man. Uh, he's, you know, I, I, I imagine if it wasn't for him, I would not have gotten on the road uh, with Darkest Hour. But that, it was it was a pleasure. Seriously, I, I have to thank those guys so much. Um, I wasn't previously uh, super personally close with um, the drummer, Travis, and their uh, bass player, Aaron, who are newer members to the band. So I was really happy that I could get to know those guys. And uh, Tito, uh, who's the tour manager and the lighting guy I've been friends with forever. It was amazing to spend some time with him. And then our uh, our sound guy and, and driver were awesome people, too, and really, really helped us out. So definitely want to thank those guys. It was a great experience. I love just doing new things and traveling and you know my main thing about life is is going against 
uh, repetition. You know, that's something that, uh, you know, is something I just, I feel is a killer. So on that note, check out my talk with Mike Schleibaum, guitar player, founder, head dude for the band Darkest Hour. We're in business now. I guess once you live in a society where the fucking Holocaust happened and now you're trying to live as a progressive person, it's like your fucking job to have these shit posted everywhere, to have these books separated by sexism, lesbianism, you know what I mean? I don't know, you Some know of this what, other what we're shit. looking at. This is like an office. We're like in this DIY uh, anarchist collective. It's probably squatted. This is probably squatted, you know? And what is an anarchist over. collective exactly? I mean, I guess it's hard for anarchists, you know, inherently don't organize like that because anarchy isn't really about that. So maybe anarchist is the wrong word, but... This is clearly like a leftist thinking, you know, free speech kind of German haven where it's clearly run by a collective of people that are volunteering, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so for those who don't know, we're in Leipzig. Am I pronouncing that? Correctly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're in Leipzig, Germany. Backstage rock and roll interview. Right now we're recording this. We're in Leipzig, Germany. I, the X-Man. You know, the, the fucking motherfucker over here. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to go on tour and with Darkest Hour filling in. And I got to get a podcast. I wanted to get my other buddy in London. That didn't happen. We're out here. We're grinding. This is the real shit. Your, your boy Doc Cole ain't been on the road in a minute. You know, in the, in the shit. Yeah. All right. Do people know what it's like? No, they don't know. And I think uh, that kind of segues perfectly into like kind of why you're out here with us. But... I'm not really sure if people understand the level of sacrifices that people have to make to be in a band. Yeah. Uh, there's so many sacrifices that everybody in my band alone has made. I mean, I can speak on that for sure to exist as a band for 21 years, you know, and we had to make a, a move on this tour where Lone Star, you know, our longtime bro, guitar player, he's been in the band forever. He's sacrificed probably the most of his personal time because he usually lives in D.C. when we write records. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't He couldn't make all the time to be out here on tour because he's obviously got a life. He's got a family at home. He's got a job that isn't the band, you know. And so he had a lot of obligations, but at the same time, we all feel a strong obligation to the idea of what the band is because the band has grown into an organism that it's all its own. So for us to cancel all the European dates or even half of them, which happened to be the headliner. It just didn't seem like a good idea. So what we did is we went into our little mental Rolodex of who's awesome. Right. (laughs) And since doc coils on the tips of everybody's lips out here with his podcast, his bad wolves, his cover band jam night, you know, I mean, you are a man that's out there. So, and we love you. We've toured with you kind of came from the same world. So it just seemed like a perfect fit. So um, I'm not only honored to be on the podcast, but I'm also very honored to have shared the stage with you now in like a super intimate way where we played in a band together, man. That's so awesome. So it's, it's, it's real shit. And it's also, I think coming from our world, which is like, 
the heavy metal guitar thing. There's a thing about playing with another guitar. Yeah, player. yeah, for sure. And trying, you know, and I was very lucky to come up with my brother where, you know, as Mike, Mike Amott put it one time, who reached out to me, Mike Amott from Arch Enemy and Carcass reached out to me when Dallas quit, you know, because his he was in a band with his brother and played guitar. And he mentioned certain things that only someone who played with their brother would know, which is, he's like, you, you can speak to each other without words mm-hmm. you know like you can like i could show them or you know my brother riff or vice versa we don't have to write it down or put it in guitar pro yeah. you just you just get it you, yeah. you speak the, the kind of same musical language and since you know he left the band i've gotten to play with all these guitar players yeah you've been over <clears throat> everywhere and you just get to see how oh how i lock in with this person or you get to learn little things you just get to see oh man this this motherfucker's badass or you play with someone that maybe they're not holding it together quite as much as you would hope um so it's it's been a really great experience for me because i haven't been playing you know like the bad wolves stuff is heavy and it's fast and it has that technical thing going on but this kind of with the lead guitar playing and you know, there's techniques you guys do that I'm familiar with, but haven't, like I said, I have my, my motor's a little cold. Yeah. Well, I don't think people understand either that it, you have to sort of have a repertoire of these techniques that you've worked on for a really long time. Sweet picking, string skipping, alternate picking, you know, and then you have to have the right hand to down pick. Yeah. I mean, it's really crazy how there's so many guitar players in the world, but to find one that fits in the niche to be able to do this isn't that easy actually you know it's the same the same <clears throat> thing with god forbid trying to oh, find of course. trying to find someone that especially with the right hand you know yeah. uh to be able to that's where the power came from cuz we were one of those bands where we didn't play with that much gain oh yeah, yeah, yeah it was cleaner it was, it was real clean so the power and the heaviness was really generated from the hand you yeah. know and and the playing so no man this was like a big challenge like for the i'd say for 80% of it it's like what I'd say is in kind of the the new wave of American heavy metal, uh, metalcore canon. Like, you just kind of get it or you don't. And th- and a lot of that stuff was like, you know, pretty much up, up my alley. Oh, yeah. Same you picked with, it up so fast. Same thing with Lamb of God. Like, it's like, I just get it. We come from the same roots and our influences are all, you know, pretty much the same shit. So the language was already there. It was just a matter of that other 20% of stuff where it's like, Fuck. Like, so there's this song called Timeless Numbers. Oh, that's that's the monster. So I, mean, <laughs> I just want to say, too, that you did not have a chance to rehearse with the band. Yeah. You were put in a position where you had to. We gave you Guitar Pro. We gave you a set list, albeit not even all the right songs, and which is classic Darkest Hour style. And I really didn't. I really had faith that you were going to do this really well. And. To be honest, in the past, when we've changed guitar players and uh, et cetera, we never really had a fill-in situation like this, but I, w- I was very hands-on, like making videos, calling a dude up, texting, but because we were in the whirlwind of the other tour, mm-hmm. and because this was like a little bit of a crazy thing, we didn't really put you in a position to have a, a, a lot of preparation. So the fact that you were able to come basically watch one show with Lone Star, learn all of his patches, learn how to do all the changes, learn how to do the guitar change, learn how the set goes, on top of knowing how to play all these songs live for the first time, is extremely impressive. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I I, I do think 
part part of it is easy because Travis Orban is insane on drums. He plays exactly what is on the album at the exact tempo. <laughs> so that helps a little, but this, the, you know, Timeless Numbers, you're basically thrown into playing the hardest guitar solo Darkest Hour ever has. And until you figure out a better way to do it with a patch, you are playing with a fucking capo, which means everything's one fret higher than all the markings. I mean, for guitar players out there to play this solo with strobes firing in your face, <laughs> everybody having an iPhone out, knowing that the band and the sound guy and everybody's going to jump on your ass if you fuck anything up. It's pretty impressive that uh, you not only handled the pressure of that, but the skill of it. And just like everybody else, three shows in, I mean, it felt like you'd been in the band forever. You know, I mean, it's tight. And, you know, I know some of these songs aren't exactly the style of guitar playing you would write, but you've you've definitely stepped into it. I know? mean, it's not... It's not like, that far off. No. It's not that far off it's from not, God Forbid. It's not, like I said, there's even a couple parts in the new album where I'm like, oh, that's a God Forbid riff. <laughs> well, hey, man, you ain't using <laughs> or, them right now, so we can borrow whatever we want. <laughs> gotta get what you can get, man. It's uh, So, no, no, I think all that was, was very familiar, but A, I take this shit really seriously, and at the end of the day... When you, you know, I've been, I've had the fortune to do this kind of hired gun fill in thing on more than one occasion now. And here's the thing. If I'm, you know, at the end of the day, if someone's not looking at the stage, they shouldn't be able to tell that I'm there. But it's even also, it goes deeper because you were able to pick up like how we don't go on the stage right when we check and how you like you have a, you have clothes that don't look stupid like you you know I know it sounds dumb to say but <laughs> you have to get in there and fit in you know you don't have a long hair and beard like everybody else in the band but it doesn't look weird and with the stage moves it's it's rocking out it's i mean for like when Chris Norris joined the band the dude was an amazing guitar player who didn't even own a guitar. And we <laughs> definitely had to together teach him because I was a dude who could barely play guitar but just went crazy everywhere yeah. on stage. We had to work together to make a live show, but you just picked up on all of those details like with, well, as a man who had experience. And I think... That's not picking up on it. That's just understanding... I guess what the, it is the, to be in a band. The, or, the gig. Like, yeah. you got to fit... You know, like I had uh, this guy Bill Hudson on the show, and he he plays with like Trans Siberian Orchestra and fucking all these bands, and he's just a pro. Like you hire that guy because you know he's gonna show up and he's gonna do the job. He's gonna play the part. He's going to perform. He's gonna bring the look. He's gonna bring yeah. the. You know, he knows. You know, there's there's even little things. It's like understanding how to you know re, you know navigate a backstage area or yeah. or deal with the sound check. And helping load in gear and yeah. get it, you know. Well, uh, not to cut you off, but dude, you also handled the fact that Darkest Hour tours a little lo-fi. You know, I mean, I think people think that we're in a tour bus all the time, but we've been in a Sprinter van. We've been in nice enough hotels in the beginning, and everything's nice enough, but so it's not I'm, glamorous. So, so I'm going to give I'm gonna give people a little day, a day in the life. Yeah, so perfect. this was very similar to when I toured with God for, with uh, Unearth. Mm -hmm. I filled in on bass guitar and did a, a similar run, like two and a half weeks. It must have been different without the pressure of having to play all the shit the same way. Oh, I mean, it's, it's well, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, like, it has to be a heightened sense of, like, something going on in your brain. You have to warm up to play all these solos. Oh, no, no, playing, playing guitar... And playing bass 
and for what these kind of bands are is a, is a totally different thing and it, and it has nothing to do with the, one the, thing being your more, life your lifestyle of day of basically you no, wouldn't like, say it was any different because you were doing bass. no i think you could you do not need the same level of coordination um i feel like you could you know you could take liberties with with, with things you could maybe maybe have that extra beer before the set yeah or something like that and that's and i know that might sound like i'm discrediting that instrument i think it's probably you know i i don't think alex webster and cannibal corpse can do that or yeah. steve DiGiorgio when he's playing for death when you're doing something um or, or like that that new guy i don't even know if he's a new guy but uh that that band havoc like their yeah. new record has all this fucking sick uh bass guitar playing so i'm saying for what i was doing with that band which was very much meat and potatoes parts uh, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm just yeah. talking about the lifestyle uh, p- component and, and the logistical elements of how we do this. So when God forbid went to Europe, almost every time past a certain point was on a bus and we would share a bus. Yeah. You know? And and I'll be honest, that makes touring in Europe a lot easier. Uh, so the way we're doing it is very much similar to how a band would tour in the U.S. in a van. You essentially you. You're in a van, you have all the gear, and they have these big sprinter vans out here, so you can fit all the gear and all your luggage in this compartment in the back. There's a, these are pretty big vans. And this is a professional business that we're renting the van from that rents to bands. Yeah. They're out of the Czech Republic, but there's a lot of these all over from Germany, wherever, UK. So that is a little different than in America because there's a lot more options. Yeah. I mean, we are able to find a driver, a van, and gear you know what I mean? From like one place? From one place. Like a one-stop shop. And have a drive right to us. I mean, I just don't know how you do that in America, but... It wasn't just maybe the the business kind of... Uh, how you make that a profitable thing doesn't really exist in America? I don't know, yeah. Or or there's just not the many, but I think the demand for, for, for this style of touring is there. Yeah. Because clearly these people have fleets of vans. Well, it's and... not only that. There's a there's an entire infrastructure of venues, yeah, and there's, a, there's festivals and communities and... One thing I've noticed about Darkest Hour, even though I think you guys are as metal as the day is long, you've been able to maintain an, a, a connection to the original kind of punk hardcore scene that you came up out of, you know, despite. So it, it has less to do with the way the band sounds, but more of kind of the ethic or whatever the band represents. That still exists, you know, like we were just in Poland and Czech Republic the last couple of days and. That's who it felt. It felt like a hardcore show vibe. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the um, you know, not to get away from the day of, but you know, a lot of the venues we play are kind of they they have been squatted. Some of them, but they that means that they weren't originally intended to be clubs. And then some of them are kind of your low, smaller size venues. I mean, the venue in Copenhagen was beautiful. Yeah. You know, the venue in the Netherlands was incredible. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, these are a and, lot of the same venues I'll do. You know, when we did bigger metal tours, you know, with Devil Driver, Il Nino, bands more kind of in the, the mainstream heavy metal world, you know, the, it's a lot of those same venues. So it's kind of a cross section between that. But I guess you're one of those bands you're able to kind of float in between worlds, yeah. or you can go and do the big Machine Head tour, and yet you're still accepted. You know, yeah, you're not I mean, kind of staying, I, staying accepted by the this world isn't always that easy when you dip into touring with machine head and doing the mayhem monster energy drink tour. Yeah. But so we're in a van, you wake up. So you wake up in a hotel every morning next to, or, or a hostel. That's a, a, so, oh, so, yeah, so, have these, so they have these like hostels out here and it's the, the biggest difference is 
you'll be in a room maybe with like four beds. So it'll be like a bunk bunk beds. And then sometimes you'll have like a shower in the room and a bathroom, but sometimes it'll be like a communal shower. And That's the brutal situation. Yeah, but, but the thing is, I think it's sound, like honestly for the most part, it's not that bad. It's just the fact that you're you're only in the room for maybe five or six hours sometimes. And you have to, you get in at one in the morning, you have to be out of there at seven or eight. So you're not, you know, it's just, it's a very like rough and tumble, you know, yeah. and, and this particular tour, there's, there were no days off, at least in the, yeah. the part I was, I, I was on. So we've had some long drives. So you're in the, in, in me, listen guys, Doc Coyle is not getting any younger. His back broke, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't, I can't do it like I used to. So I just think, so what the the thing about you that you know always struck struck me and the thing that's amazing about you is your enthusiasm never seems to wane like you're the guy you know you're handling the money you're doing the budgets you're dealing with all the business aspects of everything and yet you still find a way to you get on the stage and it's like you're in heaven and you're you still love is that the thing that keep that keeps you out in the van and fucking grinding it or what is what is it like how are you able to stay so I'm, I was thinking about I was thinking about the answer to this question I mean it's not just drugs so I don't know um I think so one thing is I love guitar you know yeah. I love playing guitar I mean you've seen that I'll play it all day long backstage I don't give a fuck <laughs> I don't care who I drive out of a dressing room or annoy but I also I really enjoy the adventure of this, you know? I mean, I grew up playing team sports, you know, played ice hockey a lot and been in playing in bands and touring with John since I was 15, you know? So I really love the like kind of like group pirate ship sailing through the fucking world, just like meeting different people at the shows, becoming friends with like our drivers and the people that book the band and just kind of uh, experiencing what the world's like. I mean, mm. to be honest, I think other than my love for guitar and, and, and heavy metal, I think my love for interacting with people around the world and kind of learning and just like seeing, oh, this is what a toilet looks like here and breathing the air somewhere. And I don't know. To me, <clears throat> the older you get, if you take that kind of out of life, it starts to get, man, it starts to get bleak. And the hard part is for me is that I've made, make, manufactured such an amazing life outside of the band. Like I have a beautiful daughter, a very supportive, caring wife who is a big part of how I stay enthusiastic because she really helps with my perspective on things along with a longtime manager, you know, who's a good friend of mine, Mike Mowry, who helps with perspective. And I would say that the last ingredient is John Henry. Although... He and I have like a very, uh, what does he always say? Don, Doc, and George Lynch relationship. <laughs> uh, he's a fucking, he's a lifer, man. He's dedicated. And he also is really good at not overreacting to situations, staying positive. It's always a good time around John Henry, you know? And without him, I wouldn't have been able to to navigate the identity of the band and keep it alive because the reality is that some people in the band, no matter how dedicated they are, occasionally have a shelf life and yeah. move on to other great things. So it's really a combination of loving this kind of pirate ship voyage out here along with also loving music. And I, I think I would also add, like I was able to go to college 
got a college degree, got a five-year social work degree, bachelor's in social work. Yeah, I heard this on um, the on the Justice show. I'm just yeah. saying, like, yeah. it really helped <laughs> with my perspective that I, I'm here because I want to be here. I don't feel trapped. Yeah. I could I could check out at any point and go get quote real job or whatever. I'm not scared to do that, even though I've drawn all over myself with crazy ass tattoos. That shit don't matter. Everyone and I've left now. a digital footprint of crazy shit that you would want to sort through before you hired me. But in in the end, it's made me the person that I am, you know. And that gave me the confidence to 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 tackle those budgets and look at them when they're not going to make money and figure out what to do and try to keep your head about it because mm-hmm. uh, managing the entire financial aspect of a band is something that someone in the band has to watch. Yeah, You can have a manager, you can have whatever, but so, you got to have a managing member. And so it falls into my lap because I love the details and I've gained everybody's trust in the band over time with money. So I think that that's your big potpourri of, uh, of what's going on, you know? Well, no, that I think that's, there's pretty much every band we know has a me or a you, right? That guy, like, like the thing that's funny about this show is a lot of time it's the people like me and you, every conversation we have is basically a podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, like, well, like, you're super funny, so anything you say, I want to record. <laughs> but that you, you having been a band dad, was also another really great quantifier for why we knew you'd be perfect. Because we have a lot of band dads now in the band. Uh, Aaron Deal was a band dad as well, and so he understands the sacrifices band dads make, and that makes it easier for us to coexist in a band together. You know. Well, you got listen. I I I have this cross section of experience being kind of at the forefront of the band leadership, but then also, you know, being like when you're the hired gun, where you basically just have to show up and do that particular thing, and you're not. De- I'm not dealing with promoters. I'm not dealing with merch. I'm not dealing with managers. Just show up, or even bands where I'm in the band, but there are other people doing that stuff, and I'm just kind of there as like. A release valve for like oh we have a question about this or doc what do you think about this because the truth is there can't be five band leaders you know no i mean there can't and and you know what else is interesting about it is that i the first time i went on tour to europe wasn't with darkest hour i, I toured a little bit with this hardcore band battery from washington dc and i was basically just a hired gun yeah. you know i had had not composed anything Never done a tour. They just wanted to move it to two guitar players. And so what is so, it? So so were you in Battery before there was a Darkest Hour? Mm, no, I was in Darkest Hour first, and that's how I met those members of that band. We were Darkest Hour was opening up for. Uh, we we basically were the band where everybody was at the show. So in the old days at hardcore shows, bands would cancel all the time. <laughs> so they would just grab us from the audience and we would play. And we played like a lot of our first shows in Washington, D.C. doing that. And then uh, our first EP, The Prophecy Fulfilled, came out on the Battery Tour I was on. So Darkest Hour had put out an EP before that already. So I was going to, so my whole thing is, you know, this being the X-Man, I was going to be like, all right, x battery but then i was like there's this thing where i have people an idea for someone for the show and they'll have that band will break up but then they'll get back together 
So it's like they were kind of an X-Men, but now they're not. And I'm like, here's the thing. What hardcore bands pretty much never really break up. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an addiction that people can't get away from usually, like an awesome hardcore show. But how whether they maintain after a show or two after they're back is a whole other story. Because- well, it's not even that, but those always like, all right, such and such is reuniting for this benefit show. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. It just seems like in that realm, the bands are never really ever broken up. Yeah, and Battery just put out a new song that we wrote and recorded like for the reunion so we also even created new music but but so. basically my whole point is i'm trying to find technicalities to so make i can make it be an x-man so yeah so you can but one thing you are and i said this i was like he's x straight edge oh yeah i'm <laughs> x vegan also x vegan x x edge um but i still i still i mean i guess it's fine your x-men can still love their past because i still love the straight edge i still love veganism like I, some of my best friends Every person, yeah, well, that and <laughs> and every person in my wedding party was an ex straight edger. You know, those are my core friends. And veganism is still a great way to eat. I wish I ate a little bit more like it out here, but I have lost the thing called self control as I've gotten older, <laughs> and I just can't do it. You is know? it? Like, but that's the thing. Is is it like this? Is it is doing those things that enjoyable? That's like you know what? It's just worth it. Like this stuff is just fun. Well, to me, straight edge was kind of all about always about being true to yourself. So, you know, I feel like I've been true to not only myself, but everybody that's around me. I mean, I have maintained friendships over two decades easily with a ton of my friends. So I feel that like, although I've changed dramatically as a person, I've still managed to at least stay within the realm of some kind of acceptable social behavior because I'm proud and happy to have made so many friends through Hardcore, straight edge, veganism, etc. You know. Did you get the uh, the hate? Did you get the people? No, that- actually, never really, because um, I think it's just been an honest transition. I mean, really, like Brandon Chappetti gave me a little bit of uh, grief at the beginning. You know, what, what kind saying? of grief did he did he strong arm you? Did he no. put you in a headlock? Just, just, <laughs> just fun little ribbing. You know, fun little, little, little jokey jabs that that I deserved for sure. So, and also. Uh, my good friend Mike McTurnan, you know, I got some straight edge friends who who like to jab it in there. But at the end of the day, good people are good people. And so if I need to be an X-Men because of my ex-moral stances, I'm very, very happy with that. Because I don't can't really think of any band that I have quit or stopped doing. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> I, the, the way I look at the show is that's the theme of the show, but... I would never use that as a sticking point to not have someone on of who's course, great yeah. to talk to. And that's at the end of the day, it's about having great conversations with interesting people that will hopefully inform the listeners or entertain, entertain. Yeah, or in, well, what, what about the idea that, um, you know, to truly know what it is to be an X-Men is to also know what it is to not be one. Yeah. So well, it's no, it's possible a- to have that perspective as I am, like you said, like I, uh, it, there's been so many hard times where Darkest Hour probably should have or could have stopped. But, you know, now where we're at is, at least on the digital footprint level, looks looks pretty amazing. No, no. So that's that's actually, you know, the reason I was almost tried to cut you off there for a second was the fascinating thing to me is when I look at Darkest Hour, I look at Unearth, and then I look at God Forbid and Bleeding Through and Shadows Fall and all these bands where... We hit hit this uh, this point 
or this you know this this moment of of breaking off and you guys kind of stuck through like do you have any perspective on like did you do you like do, do you have any feelings about us yes. falling off did that yes. make you think like what are we doing or or did you look down on our bands like look at these fucking guys fucking quitters no not at all i mean i the one thing i can tell you is that every band has a shelf life like maybe you're the rolling stones and it's 70 years <laughs> but maybe you're not so what you do with your band experience for however long you get it is up to you but in the end is the sum of this whole thing. So I feel like even though we've managed to go on for so many more albums than some of the bands you mentioned, like Shadows Fall and God Forbid, you guys basically did everything. You did everything that we've done. You've done big tours, you've done small tours, you did van tours, you know what I mean? Uh, I guess the only thing that feels a little different is like the musical legacy you build by continuing to compose these albums, but you've even done that. You know, you've even continued to make music. And I think a lot of people, I encourage them, my friends that are in bands that aren't, that don't get super big or my friends that do and then quit. Mm. I encourage people like, this is not sports. Creating great music is just creating great music. And everybody should do it regardless of whether they have the ability to continue down this path for so many years. I mean, like I was lucky to have come from a middle-class family from Washington, D.C., you know, and have a lot of things put in the lane for me to be able to continue doing it. And not everybody's given the same set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to everyone has an experience. What you do with it is up to you. And in the end, there is a there is a threshold where you've basically experienced what being in a band is. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm going to cut in real quick on our conversation with Mike Schleibaum to pump up another great Jabberjaw Media show. This one is called Peer Pleasure, and it is hosted by Dewey Halpaws, and he lets you take the role of a fly on the wall, listening in on real talk with your favorite artists and creators while they discuss life, love, loss, and present the stories that shape them into who they are today. Hear them in their own words through candid and genuine conversation on Pure Pleasure. Upcoming guests include Anthony Green from Circus Survive, Adam D of Kill Switch Engage, Jeff Rickley of Thursday. Visit purepleasurepodcast.com to check out the Pure Pleasure podcast today. And don't forget to rate and subscribe on iTunes and get all of the latest upcoming shows every Saturday. Now back to our talk with Mike Schleibaum. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Well, you know, I, I think the way I, I, I look at it is, you know, there is that, I don't know, just like me being kind of out of this lifestyle, and it really is a lifestyle. Oh, that, yeah. That, that you... Yeah, we're savages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you you walk in, you got your lotions and potions. I, I'm glad I have a chance to talk about this because when Doc showed up on the tour, I had stopped shaving. Like, I, I it's a pain in the ass to shave out here, so I... Just was like, I'm just gonna go and grow a beard. Doc shows up and he's like, Yo, bro, you got that baby face and uh, you looking, I don't know, man, you might wanna clean it up before we go to England. And then all of a sudden, there was like not a savage around. And he was like, Yeah, like, why do you guys smell so bad? And it kind of just made us all go, like, Oh, we're kind of around a regular person. Like, maybe, John, you should take a shower. And like, just... Well, I started shaming these dudes. I started looking at all the garbage in the van. I was like, oh, yeah. what is this? Oh, Shit. Clean this up. Another just... thing that was shocking was, uh, you know, we get three bottles of liquor a night and go through one usually before we play. And, and I shamed them about that. I was like, guys, this is not very healthy. You shamed us for about a day or two, and, yeah, and then, and then, then you and got then, on the program. And then Stockholm syndrome started to exactly, set in. exactly. <laughs> and I was like, "Listen, man, in <laughs> it, when you inside, you gotta do what you gotta do to survive." Yeah, you know, I joined a gang. You know, I got me a couple <laughs> yeah, of tattoos. We jumped you in. We're you trying know. to get you to get a darkest hour tattoo, but you're like, "No way." Well, <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, the thing is, if I ever, you know, in my inevitable. Uh, transition into politics. You know, if I have a a, ra- oh, yeah. a razor blade tattoo on my neck, you don't want to be associated neck, with us, dude. You know, I don't know how I'm going to explain my way out of that one. Um, <laughs> um, no, but it was, you know, vice versa. It was kind of this shock for me, like, oh yeah, I re- like you get you you do get kind of deinstitutionalized. Like there's this of the lifestyle where you're like, you know, especially and also getting a little older, and you say, you know what. I do. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And to kind of be in this, you have to condition yourself. It is you have to have thick skin um, in more ways than one. You know, yeah. you, and you have to have a threshold to say, "Hey, I'm not gonna get a lot of sleep today. I'm kind of gonna be in a little pain today. I'm gonna, you know, um, we're gonna be in a place where the conveniences. I'm not gonna have a Starbucks around the corner all the yeah. time, or I'm not gonna have all these things." And Every time I revisit that at a different point in my life, it definitely makes me ask a lot of questions like, hmm, is this what I want to do? Should I be doing this? What I want to do? You know, so it's it's, you know, and that's just me being like honest, because I think the the thing I've learned the most about my life uh, recently is that and this is sometimes I'll, I'll come to you guys is that I'm not going if I don't like something, I'm not going to shut up. Well, yeah, I'm going to well, we wouldn't w- ever want you. to. Well, no, no, but, but, but I'm just saying, but there's yeah. what I've just what I've what's the biggest thing that's changed about my life is being able to say, if I don't like something, it's within my power to change it. Yeah. And most people, I don't say most people, but I'll say that I think the problem with a lot of people is they just accept 
the things in their life that are inadequate. And when you kind of make that sh- that decision, say, hey, I'm not going to deal with this, because at the end of the day, when, and when you do that, you're never a victim. Because you will because you'll say, well, this doesn't work for me. You guys have a good time. You know, it's and it's about, you know, I think having that uh, sense of dignity yeah. has probably become my most um, prominent personality trait or something that I try and live with every day. And that's yeah. whether I'm working at, you know, working at Coachella and I was getting some beef with like some of the people over there. And I was just like, you know what? Like I had this uh, manager give me shit about using the bathroom after being on my feet for 14 hours and like my back's hurting. And I was just like, and I was like, nah, motherfucker. If I like. Doc Cole needs to use the bathroom. I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to, I'm not in fourth grade. I don't need to ask someone to use the bathroom anymore, but it's about that dignity of saying what you will and what you won't take, you know? Yeah. So, and, and also some of the, the ideas that you sort of just thrust upon us unknowingly, just like, bleeds into your whole perception of the day like you you know you clean yourself up you you clean the van up like you you try to kind of make sure you take care of everybody around you and then all of a sudden like this idea of paying attention to like your worth matters you know rather than just being like basically a complete savage which was where we were at when you showed up well here's (laughs) but here's but here's the thing it made me think about this idea like i started thinking about these things about in a way, sense like workers' rights, like we're out here grinding, you know, yeah. and you know, I mean, do we provide a service? I guess that's in the eye of the beholder, um, but but there definitely is something that, that that we're providing, of course. And in a way, like I look at like this this uh, one budget proposal, which like I think got rid of the entire national endowment for the arts, um, where we're becoming this country that doesn't care at all about supporting art, you know? And it's like, music is so ubiquitous that we really don't value it in the same way I think they do value music and musicians more in Europe. That's why these venues are more are more well-funded and they have, they put a value on the fact that these bands go out there and, and put themselves out there. And it, it just made me think, I was like, you know what, man? If we got together and you know, demanded certain things, say, hey, we need, because here's the thing, we're, we're human beings, we're grown men, you know, um, and grown women as well, we have on the, on, the, on the road, and, you know, you have to be able to carry yourself with dignity, I think, every day, and, you know, I think it's a little different when you're young, when you're 21 years old, you can, you don't care, you don't know any better. Yeah, you know? well, the, the, the unionized thing is actually really interesting to me, because, uh, the there's a few things going on that are just hard to wrap your head around. One is that the idea of valuing music monetarily has been completely destroyed. But I don't think it's necessarily the internet's fault because what I see is something more basic. People will come to your show. People have no problem buying t-shirts, buying cloth items. You know what I mean? Of course not. But the idea of taking that money and buying a band's album is a whole other experience. Yeah, but and I know, and, and it's fine. People can choose to where they want to spend their money, but I just think it goes to the core where people are like, well, I can get this music anywhere. So I can get it on my phone. I can get it on my fucking TV. I can get it on my laptop, whatever. I need this physical thing. That's a t-shirt, right? But music provides this thing. You're, you're saying, I'm, I'm sure we provide something. I mean, 
we provide some of the most basic important things that people need for basic happiness, like a place for people to get together. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know tons of love stories that started at a darkest hour concert, including my wife's sister who got married to a guy that she met wearing a darkest hour t-shirt at a bar, mm -hmm. you know, like providing a place for people to get together with ideas, you know, and talk about those things is one of the most basic uh, needs that humans have. And so the idea that maybe we could rally together as a group because we're all musicians and try to get the rest of the world to say, Hey, we all need music when we're mowing our lawns or we're driving our truck route or whatever. So let's all get together and, and help these guys out. I don't know. It's hard when you're in a business where scabs are a plenty. Well, yeah, people but look, have no problem. There, yeah, but there around. was just a writer's strike that was avoided. Um, like and, a TV writer's strike? Yeah, yeah. And they understand that, that there is a service provided and that there is uh, something of value. And I'm not talking about the physical units. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the community as a whole saying like, why, let's say this, why don't we have Steven Tyler and uh, Quincy Jones going to Congress saying, hey, we need this for our our um, industry to survive. What do, do we need? We need we need money. We need we need funding. We need like you know how come Swedish oh, bands yeah. you know like I, I had Peter Edwards from Canadian Inflames. bands too. Yeah, no, I had Peter Edwards from Inflames on here saying that their rehearsal studio was paid for by the government. They had equipment there and they had they had advantages. And but I'm just saying is that we should be able to do this and not live like like psychopaths, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like it's um, <clears throat> and I get listen. It's all I understand paying dues and I all all that stuff, you know, and I've paid my dues and 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 then some. But it just makes you think about things in a, in a different way. I'm just saying everyone, I you know, everyone has a lobby, you know. I was listening to the Knicks game and they had the uh, was it the uh, Correctional Officers <laughs> Association, play, you know, paying for advertising because they're trying to keep their jobs, they're trying to keep the, the drug war going, so that they so that there will always people, be people in jail. But why don't we have someone speaking on our behalf? There's well, things we need, you well, know. I do think why does far farmers get subsidies? Are you an ASCAP member? Uh no, I'm with uh, CSEC. Okay, well, ASCAP does have a like arm where they rally together. They have a president. Um, yeah, but and that's I get a too letter limited, from, man. It is. It is. But the idea that there are some trade organizations is there, and it's possible that your idea isn't that crazy. Oh, I don't know? think it's crazy. It's, ju it's may, just may it's have to be a reaction to the way that things are going in our country, you know, if, if they continue to go where it's headed. Well, you know? I just, I just think it's, we, we not, listen, if you look at what happened to music industry, you look what happened to the magazine and newspaper industry, you look what happened to the porn industry, how our business models were disrupted by the technology, right? There was all the stuff we gained, but there was a lot we lost. And listen, it is being made up in other areas. I think last year was the highest ticket sales you know, gross ever in the United mm. States. So live musics. Yeah. And, and the thing is, and you said about the scabs, like you were talking about how you'll do music for television and they'll want something that sounds similar. Oh yeah. So that's the thing is, let's say we all go on strike. What are they going to do? They're just going to get the, you know, the B team. Yeah. The, the, the garage band version of our shit or whatever. And it is what it is, but it's just something that 
that like I said that and that, that goes that goes to a core thing though. That's how addicting and how uh, you know intriguing this whole life is. People want to get into it. They'll do anything, you know. And it's not just that. We don't just need artists that are willing to do anything. We need artists that are providing something that's like a reflection of a world that we can relate to. And those are two different things, you know what I mean? But I think the reason that there's so many people out there cluttering up the airways with the white noise of whatever's happening is because being a rock star, being everybody's center of attention is just something that most basic humans seem to love. Yeah. You know? Um. I'm gonna let you go real quick because we got We actually gotta get some food, man. Are you hungry? Yeah, this is a this is a this is a good time to eat so it can settle before you All jump right. and do your backflips on stage. Oh yeah. So I had one one more thing I wanted to know. So your guys' previous record, self-titled record, was kind of a well, it was a, it was a step out for the band. In this, it was, I guess, a commercial. It was darkest yeah. hours. Uh, shot at like a commercial metal record more so than deliver us and the yeah. I, and, and listen the human romance is like a machine head style heavy metal album yeah. we toned down we peter witchers produced it we toned down the guitar solos the only thing we didn't do was take the jump on the vocals yeah you know and that was sort of our last shot at like can we change everything but the vocals but you know i love the self-titled um the question was no. There's a, I haven't even gotten to the question oh, yet. Yeah. But um, no. But I, I'm just saying that's something I I noticed and I really like that record. But you ex you 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 know us talking about it. You talk about like kind of experiencing these barricades or things just it not working out how you wished it would have worked worked out. What what and and I think it's pretty obvious when you hear the new record which is almost the polar opposite in its approach in the way it was recorded. Um, what, what about that experience of kind of like, was it your goal? Like, did you want to be a machine? Yeah, head? I, were I you trying to get to yes, that plan yes. theaters? Like, and well, so we, we were, you know, with that album, you know, that was our eighth studio album. So we also had changed our rhythm section. Okay. Paul left the band at the, beginning of the human romance touring and ryan uh left the band before we started our two-year world tour thing with machine head so basically between the human romance and self-titled the band got a new rhythm section along with that the band started rehearsing completely different like we started uh practicing all the songs at 60 percent speed 80 percent speed 100 percent speed together working on band group muscle memory you guys something, got tight some people don't realize like you can have the most amazing muscle memory with you learning your solos but if the band can learn muscle memory together it can be just a fucking machine so all those things combined with the time that we spent on the album kind of put us in a place where things were getting really musical and i think that really inspired john to want to take that step yeah because I don't know how you can be in a room with Travis Orban and not feel inspired. Like the guy is really that good. And then Deal, Aaron, he's our bass player, is such a musical guy, like coming from a whole other place that that just it made an explosion. Okay. Yeah. And what it did is it took a like that one album tears down the idea of what a Darkest Hour song is. Yeah. And I think to some of our core fans, 
that wasn't good for them because they liked knowing what a Dark Tower song was, mm-hmm. right? But in general, once the explosion happened, you had 14 songs. If you were to peel that album down to eight, which is basically what Undoing Ruin is, plus a little instrumental piece, it could have been a very aggressive album with very little singing if we wanted to do that. I mean, 14 songs is a lot of songs. Yeah, too many, I think. (laughs) Definitely too many, but... Unless it's like hate breed and it's like a minute and a half songs. But one thing we traded up on on that album, too, was we let Sumerian get up in there, Mm -hmm. okay? We are like a sponge to producers. You can hear that in every album. The producer leaves his mark like a jackhammer. But on this specific album, instead of working against the label, which we basically did the entire time we were on Victory, and then working basically in lieu of the label, as we did on E1, and Century Media just licensed the human romance, so it was what it was. Sumerian was involved with the whole thing from the ground up. And Ash, the owner, is is like one of the oldest Darkest Hour fans and has put in his has put his love for the band on the fucking table. He he put it out there, he let us do whatever we wanted to do and creatively explode that album. And then he pushed us even farther because I think he saw like, wow, well, John does have a really great singing voice. Like, man, maybe, maybe we can break this to radio. Like, do this, do that. And then there was an organic, you know, organic move to that, right? But then there were things that kind of didn't really fit. Like, he really wanted to call the album Fuck Waiting Around to Die. And we just felt like that went against everything the album was doing like how do you call this album fuck waiting around to die when it's not it's not it's the most melodic it's confusing you know and well by by your by our rationale exactly but maybe it would have added a nice balance to it because it would have seemed really extreme well i listen i think there's some of the heaviest songs you guys ever wrote on that record um and i me, the only thing I wouldn't have done was the the one single with the female vocals. Man, but on the it. thing is, we I, had that song. We had it without the the girl singer. It you know, and it was great. Yeah. But having a female voice in the band is something we've always no, wanted. No, no, to no, have. no. It's not that you did it. It's that you released it really early in yeah. the process, and it colored the record in a way that I don't think not actually represented what the record was. Like it was false advertising. Yeah. Um. So it was just more like I would hear that song and think that's an album cut. And you guys treat it like a single, yeah. so that's that's one thing I, I I wouldn't have done. But um, but then you you said you kind of like you went out there, you know, you knew how it is. You put a record and you feel the vibe. Oh yeah, and yeah. and the vibe wasn't well. It's still our highest charting album, so Sumerian first week charting album. So Sumerian did their work. They got us on that tour with Body Count and Mayhem. Uh, yeah, Mayhem tour. I mean. Dude, they came to the table with the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. I will say that. But I think once we got out there and we started living it, we started realizing that although we had made small decisions along the way because they felt right, once we were standing there looking at the whole picture, I think we felt like we weren't the, the band. We weren't that band because yeah. – these songs are so rich and layered and melodic that to pull them off live takes a lot more technology than what we're doing right yeah, now. Yeah, you got to run tracks. And yeah, and you got to have uh, in ears, and the, your singer better be drinking tea and fucking yeah. everything, <laughs> and, and honey every fucking day, booking days off in between, and you know it's just 
isn't who we are. So we did sort of like, you know, a very different move than Suicide Silence where they sort of went head on to the vibe of like, you don't like this because we changed it up. Well, it's self-titled you know, the exactly same way we self-titled our album to stamp that it is the fucking band on there, even though it's changed. And, you know, with Suicide Silence, they kind of went hard at everybody. It was like, this is what we fucking did. With Darkest Hour, I have to admit, we... We dropped back. We saw what songs people liked, pushed those, went out there, did the Mayhem tour, did a little, basically went and supported Machine Head all over the place, you know. And then when that was done, instead of like pulling out a full headliner and digging in deep and playing those tracks, we sort of decided like, you know, we kind of want to take control because we just the complete opposite of what had just happened like yeah we played it felt great like signing to ash's label going to wilshire boulevard wherever the fuck it is and like <laughs> going up in that high rise and like it just felt like we were really trying to make a super important album and really just take the span that john and i had worked so many years on and like crack it open and get to that place where like machine head had got and you know, some of the other bands that we look up to that are, are, are doing well and also had long careers. And in the end, I think the funny thing, the ironic thing is that when we turned around, we had to take a chance right away. We had to crowdfund the album because it was the only way to be a hundred percent in control because mm -hmm. I try to tell people Sumerian wanting to be in control of some of the creative is not that strange. Victory did too, and E1 would have liked to too, but they didn't really think, feel like they could dip we in as we much. We never had a label get involved in anything yeah, we ever did. But musically. even to me, I feel like when they fund, when a label funds something, it colors the experience somehow. Yeah, no, listen, I. But, you, I would, I but a lot of people wouldn't invite what we invited in, yeah. you know, and, no, and that's I understandable. Have, I would have been open to it. To me, it's in, in some ways. You know, I like getting that feedback. You know, I like oh, I like, yeah, I like you, when you have like you, you're great with it. No, like I like when you have like a manager listen to something and, and who like I remember when we we made demos for de uh, determination and we had a re record before that called Reject the Sickness, which was more metal chord, and we did a three song demo and our manager was like, "Where's the chug?" Yeah, like in a negative way. Yeah, like determined like before determination, yeah. like saying like we lost our edge or something. Yeah. You know, so. And that we didn't agree with. We were like, dude, what are you fucking talking about? These fucking songs are killer, you know. Um, but, but it's funny that you mentioned a manager because that also played into the whole thing. Because Mike Mowry, our manager, has been with us the almost the entire time we were on Victory, the entire time we were on E1, and he was the one who said, "Hey, if the only way you are Darkest Hour is going to put out an album where you're going to get 100 percent of control of everything at this point is." is if we crowdfund it. And we were like, nah, you're crazy. But we started talking to labels again, started the whole thing. It was only one album deal with Ash. So all of a sudden we were like, okay, let's try this crowdfund thing. This is crazy. And Mike helped us walk that bridge. Yeah. So, so, but the, so the new album. Oh, well, we yeah, creatively. Well, yeah, I, I, well, well, the thing is, so even me not really knowing anything about it beforehand, but just when you started like releasing tracks, there was a different, like, it was like this, there was a buzz, like a yeah, real- Yeah, there really was, that re, actually a, worked. Yeah, there was a, <laughs> yeah, but I think it worked because of what you guys, the songs you made, like, it's that that idea that you're only one, you know, this is, you know, I'll borrow some more shit from Josta, you know, you're only one song from changing your life, like, 
Yeah. Or you or you can bring something back. Like I look at a moment like when uh Meshuggah released the song Bleed. Yeah. Like it brought because we toured with Meshuggah right before that on the album Catch Thirty Three, mm-hmm. and not for nothing, there's, it was us, the Haunted, and them and Nemec in the states. And for what I thought Meshuggah was, it the shows weren't as big as I I thought. And I know some of those venues they had played previously and had done like a lot more people, so they were kind of on a downturn. Mm. And they made that record obscene, and boom! It was like mm. now they're doing like two thousand, three thousand yeah. seaters, or you know, in a whole other stratosphere. But it's that idea that metalheads ultimately they're about the music and if you give them the goods you know yeah i think it's a little combination of to how we got that buzz was greg from southern lord hit us up we were recording with kurt Ballou. i mean this looks like on paper to a person that's actually a fan of heavy music really cool to a label they're looking at this like kurt Ballou, dark sour i mean we tried that to get victory to let us do that they were not into it e1 was not into it and ash was definitely not down with it yeah so people obviously had an idea of what a kurt blue dark sour album would be but i think once you had those components and then we gave them the first track off the album which is just a banger it set the stage for what is this and then the next song came out and it was fucking insane shredder. And then people were like, oh, I think I'm digging this. So, but you guys are, but you're seeing it. You, you know, just like you kind of felt a vibe on the Dark Sour. Yeah. Uh, this one, you felt the opposite vibe or, or just something or different vibe? It's not the opposite because it's not like all of a sudden we're mega, you know, huge from playing super extreme music. It's yeah. more. We felt the thank you, the sigh of relief from people that have dark sour tattoos and wear your T-shirt till it falls off. I mean, we have some of those diehard fans. We don't have thousands. We have hundreds, but they are vocal. Well, and, you do have thousands. Well, to- collect you add them all up. And, and you know what I'm saying? And they basically they are telling us what we've known, which is that, yes, this is what the band should sound like or this is amazing. And. I'm not saying we're not going to change our sound up because we do every album some way, but I am saying it's nice to be in a place now where, you know how before I was saying, now we broke open the mold of what a Darkest Hour song is, and then we realized when we all turned around, just the five of us, and said, like, well, what's a Darkest Hour song? We made the new album, which is basically very similar to the first album. So in a strange way, the world's interpret some of the world's interpretation of what a darkest hour song and us is the same. And so to make that self-titled album and to see what it's like to not have the same identity made us realize who we were, you know? And I think we've come full circle to that. I don't know creatively where to, where it will go from here or even if it should, although that sounds like a crazy thing to say. I mean, you have nine darkest hour albums. We play an hour and we can't even play, songs off of everyone you know this band could go on tour for four years playing deliver us all the way through people will be stoked to see that you know and i mean playing the human romance all the way through playing the new album all the way through so right now creatively it's hard to say what to do because it feels good to just have done something right well here's the thing don't worry about that now just en- yeah, just enjoy yeah. this so i'm just trying to enjoy my tour with doc Coyle. yo on that note I want to thank you for being on the show. You're the man. I love you, Mike. I love you too, man. All right. Peace out, y'all. Thank you, world, internet.
and that was This Is The Truth from Darkest Hour's new album, Godless Prophets and the Migrant Flora. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know what Migrant Flora is, if that's like a weed reference, or these motherfuckers are getting into botanical gardening. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's up with the flora. Godless Prophets? I'm on board with that. That that other shit, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. But, you know, I had to play that song kind of as a dig to the band because it's one of the songs I learned for the tour and I really fell in love with the track and we ended up not playing it. And all every day I would just bust their balls. I'm like, yo, man, we got that song, man. We can play that shit. You know what I'm saying? If y'all, got, if y'all want to, you know, just put it out there. I know it. Your boy knows it. And uh, it didn't happen. So... You know, the way I would remember, because I didn't, you know, the the new album, I didn't, you know, it's new, so I didn't really know it. So the way I would remember it is like, this is the truth, like, because that song is the truth. I'm feeling that shit. I think it combines all the things, the great things that Dark Stower does. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, please pick the record up. It's, um, even though they crowdfunded it, it was released through Southern Lord Records. And definitely support, support independent music, support Guys who and gals out there who are out there grinding and working for you. That's right. They're doing it for you. And I think that's what that's going to wrap it up. Actually, before I go, I just want to plug the Bad Wolf show, even though probably many of you will be listening to this will be after the show. But whoever does check it out beforehand. And if you're in Southern California, Bad Wolves, uh, my new band will be doing its debut show, our first show ever on Wednesday May 24th at the Observatory in the Constellation Room, which is in Santa Ana, California, in Orange County. We'll also be playing with Power Flow, who uh, is the new supergroup with like Billy from Biohazard and Christian from Fear Factory, who is on the show, and also Send Dog from Cypress Hill. They got members of Downset. So it, it's their debut show as well. And this is all hosted by our good friend. Uh, Jose Mangan from Sirius XM Satellite Radio Liquid Metal and Octane and it is part of the this concert series he's doing called uh, Affliction Metal Night. So this is a pretty exciting week. So even if you will have missed the show, hopefully, you know, missing it will get y'all excited and you'll be ready to check the band out. So anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for the support. Really, really uh, feel grateful for everyone that supports the show. I get so many people that reach out and enjoy this, and that's what it's all about. It's all about connecting. You guys have a great day. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. 
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.